Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Kyle Burkholder. I'm pastor here at Covenant Church and one of the elders that has the great privilege of leading this community along our mission. And today we're going to do something uh, traditional and something a little non-traditional, a little bit of a plot twist. Uh, the traditional thing I'm holding here in my hand, I'm smelling. This is a hot cross bun. I don't know if you got your hot cross bun in the foyer. They're right on that coffee station. Oh, these are incredible. I'm going to use mine for communion later, so I don't know what you have for communion, but mine's better. Hot cross buns, these are a traditional thing. When I lived in South Africa a couple different years over, this was an every Easter thing. You'd eat hot cross buns, and it's a kind of a British a colonial thing that in the 12th century, a monk baked some uh, bread and cut a cross into the top of it, and uh, that was sort of used around Good Friday and Easter as a remembrance. And so there was a cross, and uh, ours has icing because America, but um, icing cross, and that's the cross of Christ, and then it's baked with uh, certain spices, and that's representing the embalming spices that he was buried with, and then it's a yeast roll, so it <laughs> rises, right? Hello, Easter. Okay, so um, this is an incredible little uh, treat, and so it's for us maybe a new tradition. I don't know. Veronica, our uh, superstar office administrator, she searched like a 6,000-mile uh, area to find these, to source these. She um, pulled in a few favors, and now we have them. So, hot cross buns. That's traditional. Non-traditional is today, I'm not going to read you the Easter story. We're not going to walk through the Easter story. I may not even say that the, to- the tomb was empty. I might. I might. It's Easter. But what we're actually going to do is a little bit of a plot twist in a story where Jesus himself has a plot twist. And I think it's going to be exactly what we all need to hear because I think it is Easter in a little bit of a plot twist sort of way. I don't know if you are a fan of plot twists. Maybe you're not like, you know, surprise parties aren't your thing. Um, movies, those are always more interesting when there's something that changes. It's not that much fun if you know what's coming. The Sixth Sense, you remember that movie from like 100 years ago? Feels like yesterday, you know, and the dad was dead the whole time. Spoiler alert. Um, sorry. Sorry about that. Sort of a plot twist. Like, why did I watch this whole movie? It's not... Okay. Um, Agatha Christie novels. Maybe you're a mystery fan. You like that when it's, oh, it's whodunit. At the end, it changes. My favorite plot twist uh, is Scooby-Doo. I really like that every time. Every time. Fred and Wilma, Daphne, Shaggy and Scoob. Oh, <laughs> that's Scoob. They get out of the mystery machine and they catch you know, the ghost or the goblin or the zombie or the whoever it is who was guarding the factory or who was ruining the, the sawmill and whatever it was. It's always the same ending, but it's always the plot twist because then Fred, oh, good old Fred, he does that job of pulling off the mask and then they all, oh, Mr. Weatherby, you know, every time. And it's the only guy it could have been the whole time. And yet every week I would be really excited to watch Scooby-Doo and see Mr. Weatherby be the one who was hijacking, the, whatever. Plot twist. Okay. Jesus has a plot twist in store for us. We're actually going to tackle a whole chapter of the Bible today and still have you home in time to eat ham. So um, start with us in Luke 15. Jesus is uh, making his journey from Galilee to Jerusalem, and he's, he's dealing with uh, the religious people. They're with him. They're walking through hostile territory, but he's also dealing with some uh, irreligious people, shall we say, some outsiders, some outcasts, some sinners. So it says this, by the time 
By this time, a lot of men and women of questionable reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. And the Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. And their grumbling, the scripture says, triggered this story. So let me tell you where we are, right? Jesus has attracted these faithful people, these religion scholars, these these kind of high holy men, moral types, maybe a little self-righteous, maybe keep the rules types, maybe the churchy types, maybe the judgy types. But Jesus also loves outsiders and the outcast and the rebel, the unclean. And so the religious are murmuring and grumbling. Why? Because Jesus is leading them what's already physically dangerous territory through the, the land of their enemies in Samaria. And now he's taking them through what is a personally threatening and spiritually dangerous territory. Inviting enemies and sinners and outsiders in, this offends the religious who long for safety and security in their moralism and their rules. So what's the greatest threat to an insider when everybody can be an insider? Because then what do you have that's so exclusive after all? And so these Pharisees, they're not bad people. They're probably really good people, faithful people, but they've just been misled. They're insecure. And so Jesus, in order to convince them that he is there for them too, tells four stories on the back of this. They grumble at these outsiders being invited in, and Jesus tells four stories. The first story he tells is one of a lost sheep. He tells the story of a shepherd. He says, if you were a shepherd, you lost one of your sheep. Say you had a hundred sheep and you lost just one. Who wouldn't leave the 99 to chase down the one, he says. And then he says, when you found that sheep, you would invite your friends and your neighbors. You would celebrate, have a party. And he says, count on this. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner rescued than 99 good people in no need of rescue. Hmm. I've never lost a sheep before. I don't know about you. So this story doesn't quite resonate in the sheep losing part. We did lose a dog once, and this was a thing. Um, um, Sam was our dog, and uh, I'll put him on the screen. You can take a peek at Sam. He's pretty adorable, old Sam. And... Um, He's also going to be with adorable children, so all the adorable things are happening. Sam was six months old. We went on vacation. We left Sam with our neighbors, and our neighbors uh, left Sam in a backyard with an open gate or something. I don't know. Not their fault. Maybe it was. And we're on vacation. We get a phone call. Uh, uh, so don't want to bother you. Everything's fine. You know, whenever somebody says everything's fine, you're like, you just throw the phone down and run. Everything's fine. Sam kind of got out, and we can't find him. And we lived in this suburban area that was kind of ringed by a South Texas wilderness, which is to say, you know, cactus and, and coyotes and snakes. You could sit in our backyard at night and hear the coyotes howling in the distance. And, and this is like the kind of scrubby, horrifying, 100-degree country that nothing survives unless it is a rattlesnake. And that's where Sam is. So we rush home from vacation. We put the flyers up everywhere. We're ready. We're going to find Sam. We start combing through this wilderness area, these, these empty drainage basins, like these dry riverbeds, and you just hear terrible things happening in the woods. You know, you just hear creatures. I don't know if I've told you that. I may, I may never have mentioned this. I don't like snakes at all. Snakes are a big, like if there's a snake on the stage, I'm just gone out the door and you guys will figure it out, okay? And I am absolutely sure when snakes Google all-inclusive vacation resorts, this is the place that comes up. This is just where they go. And they look at each other and like, this is paradise. Why don't we live here? Um, this is the kind of place we had to search for Sam. So I'm going through knee-high grass, just waiting to get bit by looking for Sam. He's not going to be found. He's an appetizer for a coyote, right? He's just a little yummy morsel for some 
creature out there. And so we're just kind of like, this is not going to work. Day one, don't find Sam. Night one, hear the coyotes. Day two, don't find Sam. Night two, hear the coyotes. Day three, don't find Sam. Then I do that responsible thing that any good father would do, which is we distract the children and I quietly gather all of Sam's things, his bed, his bowls, all that, and I just start hiding it in a closet. Maybe they'll forget. They didn't forget. So on a whim, uh, someone calls, we have Sam. They didn't have Sam. It's a different white dog. We're, whatever, you know. Eventually, my wife drives by. There was a sighting. He was drinking from a pool off the green belt. There was a soul. And there he is. And they find Sam. And Sam is matted and he's covered in like, like seeds and stickers and all kinds of terrible things. And he runs up to Bella and he's peeing everywhere. And they had this great reunion. We took him to the groomer. We were like, sorry for your trauma. Now go get groomed because this is disgusting. He smells like raccoon urine. It's not great. And then we celebrate. He was lost and we searched and we found him and we celebrate. And the girls have this kind of Sam's home party. And to this day, we still celebrate that Sam is home, especially because he has some PTSD and walks are a little bit scary for him. <laughs> Everywhere we go, we just kind of like, whoa, what's that? So that's Sam. So I've not lost a sheep. I have lost a dog. That's how it turned out. So we celebrate. Every time you find something, you celebrate. I think this is how this works. So Jesus tells a second story. First story, he says there's a lost sheep. The second story Jesus tells is of a lost coin. He says it this way. He says, imagine there's a woman who has 10 coins, only 10 coins, and she loses one of her coins. He says, what's the woman going to do? She's going to sweep the house. She's going to turn over every stone. She's going to look for the coin. And then Jesus says, when she finds the coin, she calls her neighbors and her friends. She says, celebrate with me. I found the coin. And Jesus says this, count on it. That's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. Now, I probably have lost some coins along the way, but I've never lost as many coins. I heard this story a few weeks ago. You guys know what Bitcoin is? Bitcoin is cryptocurrency. It's digital money. It's, it's a little confusing. I won't even try to explain it to you, but basically one Bitcoin right now is worth $58,000. Okay. But when it started, people were paying for pizza with Bitcoin because it was like $4. And, but it's just kind of this weird, wacky new world we live in, and we'll all figure it out one day. Here's the point. There's this guy, a developer, programmer named Stefan Thomas. And he was doing early work with the Bitcoin people. He wrote an article for them to explain Bitcoin. And they paid him in Bitcoin, which, you know, whatever. But at the time, it was like worth a couple thousand dollars. And so he puts that in... Uh, like a thumb drive, a little flash drive that you would stick in the side of your computer. But he was a techie, you know, he's a developer kind of guy. And so we got a really cool thumb drive that had a password. And he wrote the password down diligently like you're exactly not supposed to do on a sheet of paper. And he lost the sheet of paper. Ah, I lost the sheet of paper for that thumb drive. Oh, well. Only Bitcoin, the value changes over time. And when he got it, it was worth a couple thousand dollars. Currently today, that Bitcoin on Stephen Thomas's thumb drive that he can't find the password is worth $300 million. Yeah. He said, legit, anxiety kind of didn't want to live for a few weeks after he realized what it was worth and that he couldn't get the password. And it's not just any old password-protected thumb drive. It's like super high-techy one in that it, there's 10 total password tries before the thumb drive self-encrypts. It basically self-destructs and you can't get anything off of it. And so you get 10, he's used eight he tried everyone he could remember, you know, like, uh, maybe backwards. Did I capitalize the second? No. He's tried eight. He has two left. There's $300 million, and it's sitting in a little tiny flash drive, and he's got to figure out what to do with it. Now, this story is not over yet because he still hasn't figured it out. He's talking to people who have electron microscopes and nano 
nano chisels and all kinds of things, and they're like, we can break it down and actually take the chip apart and look and find the password in there somewhere. And I'm like, I don't know if you want to do that. But it's not my money, so whatever. Here's the, here's the thing. When, when Stephen Thomas finally gets that money out of that flash drive, I think he's going to have a little bit of a party. He lost it. He's currently searching for some way to get it back. And when it's found, he's going to celebrate. Third story Jesus tells is one of a lost son. This one may be more familiar to you. It's called the prodigal son. It's pretty culturally relevant. We hear it in a lot of ways. And basically, it goes like this. He says there was two sons. The father had two sons. And the younger son kind of wanted to go his own direction. So he said, hey, I want my inheritance now. I'm not going to wait for you to die. I just want it now. I'm out and I'm done. And thanks for nothing. So the father divides the property and gives the younger son his inheritance. The younger son then proceeds to go kind of out in distant lands and, and spends it on unseemly things, on fast living and such. Blew it all. He has nowhere to go and no money, so he's kind of wandering now back towards his father's house. And he's stopping along the way and he's sleeping in pigsties and he's eating the leftovers that they don't touch. He's eating the corn cobs in the pig slop. And that brings him to his senses when he comes back. Then he goes, you know what? I could do better than this at my father's house. Maybe he'll take me in as a servant. So I'm just going to try because it can't get worse than this. And so the prodigal son, as he's known, makes his way back to the father's house. And before he can even get there, the scripture says the father races out to meet him. That someone sees him on the distance and the father races out to meet him. And before the son can even finish his apology, I'm so sorry. The father says, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you're home. He puts a ring on him. He brings him in. He goes, we're going to have a feast to celebrate your return. And it's this strange grace that the son can't quite fathom. He goes, I, I, went, I blew it. I wasted everything. And the father says, I'm just so glad you're home. Come on in. It's a beautiful story. It's one of those stories that's great hope for all of us who are wayward at times. It's my story. I don't know about your story. My story, a wayward Exactly like the prodigal son out in the world spending my time and my money and my heart on destructive, fast living. And then just like him, I thought, gosh, I don't even know if God would want me. I don't know if God would want anything to do with me. If God knew what I'd done, if God knew what I thought, if God knew who I really was, God wouldn't want me. And just like the prodigal, my story is the same where, where in this moment, God still welcomed me back. He said, you are exactly who I made you to be. And I'm not going to hold any of the things you've done against you because you are my child and welcome home. And I went, whoa. And so for each and every one of us, we've all experienced a time of feeling distant and then being brought in in some way, shape, or form. What we see in this story is that God loves the far off. He wants to welcome the far off home. He wants to welcome the wayward back into his presence. But I said there was four stories. That's only three. There's a fourth story in here buried in after these three lost stories. Remember, the Pharisees have been murmuring. The Pharisees are grumbling. The Pharisees don't like that there's outsiders coming in, that there's sinners and prostitutes and scoundrels and rascals all being invited into the company of Jesus. He's dealing with these religious people. And so the first three stories, as these are his audience, the first three stories are something of a setup for them. And they're beautiful stories. And there's beautiful truth. You can't be too lost to be found. You can't be too far gone for the Father to call you home. So if that's you today, don't miss that. Maybe that's all you're here to hear, is that you're here to know that you can't be too far gone and God wants to welcome you home. Maybe that's you. If you don't think God could love you or wants to welcome you home, you could not be further from the truth. Friends, God is ready to throw a party for any who might come back to him. Don't miss that. 
But Jesus is talking to the murmurers now, to the Pharisees, to the grumbling. The church people, the tryhards, do good things instead of bad things. Then maybe it'll all add up at the end. The self-righteous and the rule-bound, the person early to church on Easter morning and the pastor who's got some pride that no one can quite see. This is who Jesus has been setting up all along. Jesus has told these first three stories as a setup for his plot twist. And I'm going to read it to you. Luke chapter 15, verse 25 says this, All this time his older son, this man's older son, was out in the field, and when the day's work was done, he came in. And as he approached the house, he heard the music and the dancing. And calling over to the houseboys, he asked what's going on. And he told them, Your brother came home. Your father had ordered a feast, barbecued beef. Because he has him home safe and sound. The older brother stomped off. In an angry sulk, he refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but the brother wouldn't listen. The son said, look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. Have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? So then this son of yours who's thrown away all your money on whores shows up and you go out with a feast. His father said, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time. Everything I have is yours. But this is a wonderful time and we had to celebrate this. Brother, brother of yours was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. Son, you don't understand. And the story ends there. We don't get to see what happens next. The, Jesus leaves the story there where he says, Son, you don't understand. As if he's saying, Son, if you understood who you were and where you were, you'd know that you have it good too. But you're not getting it. And then he doesn't resolve the story for us. It's a story about a son who played it straight, who kept the rules about the good ones, the right ones, about the sons and daughters who might be even further from God than they realize. Even if we look good on the outside, Jesus is going, wait, 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 are you sure? And Jesus begins to narrow in. And so when you zoom out and you look at what Jesus is doing, man, it's clever. Jesus is pulling a Scooby-Doo on the Pharisees here. He's pulling off the mask, and it's them underneath it the whole time. Mr. Weatherby. This fourth story is about the fakers and the hangers-on, the outside of the cup washers, about the well-intended who want to feel God's love but are afraid to admit that they feel lost and alone. You see, this whole chapter, all of these stories were aimed at the Pharisees all along. The first three speak to the wayward and the lost. But Jesus has just been setting them up with these beautiful tales of truth. So go back. The first story is about a hundred sheep, this big wide filter, a hundred sheep, and one is lost. So the Pharisees say, not me. Must be someone else. The second story narrows in to ten. It's ten coins, one is lost, and the Pharisees look around and go, not me. I'm good. Jesus narrows it further, 100 to 10 to 2. He says there's two brothers and one is now lost. And the Pharisees look at each other and go, not me. I'm the good one. And then Jesus narrows it one more time. There was one brother left. And he kept the rules. And he never left. And he did the right things. And there was a celebration in each story. And yet this brother in that fourth story, never got the celebration. The fourth story, the older brother, he was the most lost of them all. The others were lost and found. He was lost to the father. He was lost 
to his brother. He was lost to the celebration. He was lost. And Jesus breaks the convention of the stories. The sheep, the coin, the son, they all had the same construction. Lost, searched, found, celebration. Lost, searched, found, celebration. And you get to that fourth story for that last brother, and it's lost. And the Pharisees in the hearing of Jesus must be waiting for the convention to continue. How did it end? How did it go, Jesus? Silence. Jesus refuses to resolve the story. The grumbling, murmuring Pharisees are looking around going, where is the ending? What does this mean? Jesus crafts a story where the lost are found and some who thought they were found find themselves lost again. Maybe for the first time. Jesus leaves the story open so that they might find themselves in it. And I think he does the same for us. Stories about sheep and, and dogs, stories about coins or our bitcoins, stories about brothers and sisters, stories about you. If you think you're secure in your religion or your self-righteousness or your status or your wealth or your good works, if you think you're good, you can't be found because you don't even know you're lost. Only when you identify as lost can you truly be found by the Father. So maybe you're in here and you identify with the younger brother, with the prodigal. And you go, no, no, that's me. I'm the wayward one. You don't know me. People wouldn't even want to sit next to me if they knew what I had going on. Okay. This story says you need to come home, that God is going to race out. You're not even going to get halfway there before he's going to meet you on the road and welcome you home. He wants nothing more than to bring you back into his presence. He wants nothing more than to wrap you in arms of grace and unconditional love. If you are the wild and the wayward, it is your day to come home. But maybe you identify with the older brother. You keep the rules, you live a good life, you're good to people. Jesus wants to include you in the story too, that all the religious practices and the moral behaviors, it still leaves you outside of the celebration. It still leaves you blind to the beauty of grace. You don't think you need it. It still leaves you lost in your own profound way. The Apostle Paul was maybe the most righteous man on earth, as the stories go. And then he met Jesus and realized what it was worth. He says this to the church at Philippi. He says, the very credentials, these people, people like me, he's saying, are waving around as something special. I'm tearing up and throwing them out with the trash along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Jesus Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. And compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master, firsthand, personal relationship, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Paul calls it garbage. So I've dumped it all in the trash so I can embrace Christ and be embraced by him. He's running to Jesus on the road. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ and getting God's righteousness. Paul says, I did all that. I was the older brother. I kept all the rules. Guess what? It's garbage. It's not worth anything. Jesus doesn't finish the story because Jesus is the end of the story. Jesus doesn't finish the story with the Pharisees because they need to realize that he is the end of the story and there's no way for them to be insiders unless they're in with him. He's inviting the wild and the wayward and the religious and self-righteous to join the company of the lost and found. Jesus is inviting you to abandon the ways of sin and darkness, whether you pick them up in sin-soaked dark alleys or in Sunday morning suits and dresses. He says, if you are not in with me, you're not in. 
So Jesus ends the story. Jesus takes on all of it, the waywardness and the self-righteousness, the rule breaker and the rule follower. Easter is the story of Jesus taking on every bit of it, of Jesus taking on the penalty and the punishment and paying it all for us. Jesus is the story that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to live the perfect life for you so he could give that very life as the perfect sacrifice on your behalf. His crucifixion carried the penalty for your sin, and today we celebrate the resurrection and the ultimate end of sin and death Because when the earth shook and the stone was rolled away, when the empty tomb, there it is, when the empty tomb revealed a risen Jesus, death met its end in the life of Christ. And Jesus offers you that life. Whether you've been in the pig slop like the younger brother or you've been in the religious rat race like the older brother, Jesus offers you that life. Jesus wants to be your story. If you were lost, you can be found today. If you've been blind, you can see that story unfolding before you of grace and acceptance of love from the Father. It's a story of renewal and purpose and joy. It is a resurrection story of people bound for death. That's you and I. And instead found alive in the roaring glory of heaven. Life with meaning and purpose and hope is here, but is here in Christ. It is in Jesus And so when we celebrate Easter because death could not hold him, when we celebrate Easter because the grave could not keep him, when we celebrate Easter because he is risen, and he is risen indeed, we celebrate Easter not just for the wild and wayward, but for those who thought that rules could get them through. Because each and every one of us at some point in our lives have been both. I will build my way to God, or I will run as far as I can. And neither one works, but for both, God wants to reel you in to welcome you home. And the Easter story is not about hot cross buns and Easter bunnies and and eggs. It's not about it. It's about the ultimate point of history where Jesus looks at the world. Jesus looks at you in your eyes. He looks at you in your heart and he says, you are lost. And maybe you don't even know it, but I'm here that you might be found. He invites you into that story today to be found, to join in the celebration of the lost and the found. Lost, searched, found celebration. You can't get to celebration unless you start with recognizing your need. And he is searching for you. Jesus is the evidence that God will stop at nothing to search for you, to find you, and to bring you home. And that starts today. So maybe you're in here and you say, I'm one of the wayward ones, and maybe, maybe you're right, and I want to feel grace. I want to be accepted. I want to be loved. I don't even know if that can happen. I would say today's your day. And maybe you're in here and you go, you know what? I've been running this religious rat race for a long time or trying to be good enough for a long time, and I never seem to get it perfect. You weren't supposed to. Jesus got it perfect for you. So today is your day to be welcomed home. The scripture says something so simple about how we follow Jesus, how we start that journey with him. We go, well, I don't even know what to do. And Jesus goes, exactly. It's not about what you do. It's never been about what you do. It's about who you are. Scripture says if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, he calls you his own. It's a simple, Jesus, I believe, meant from the bottom of your heart. And in that moment, in that earnest confession that we want to follow Jesus, that we want to be welcomed home, that we want the grace that got brought with the risen Savior. In that moment, you and I can join that incredible story, that incredible celebration of the lost and found.
So as I pray, I would invite you to pray with me. To pray that prayer, maybe for the first time, or maybe it's been a long time, and you've been running for a while, and you were found, but you find yourself lost again. Today, that ends, and you can come home to Jesus. So let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his stories, for his life that includes all. God, that it isn't simply about one type of person or one type of behavior, that God, we don't have to jump through certain hoops or live by certain rules, but God, we have to live in you. So thank you for Jesus and his wild, inclusive grace. Father, today, each and every one of us is in a different place. We bring a different battle. We bring a different trial. Yet each and every one of us today, Lord, can confess to you that we are in need of your forgiveness. We are in need of your love. We are in need of your grace that we couldn't get it right no matter how hard we tried. So today, Father, my confession confession of my heart that I speak with my mouth, the one that any in this room can join today to connect, to commit, to be found, is this. Jesus, I believe in you. And Jesus, I need you. That I am so often lost, but in you, Jesus, I can be found and I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. I want to follow you with my days. I want you to be there when I fall that you might pick me up and we can keep walking together. Father, thank you for grace and love. Thank you for the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that promises us life. God, I believe. So find me today, right where I am. We pray these things in your son's healing name. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.